Welcome to the Episcopal Church of the Redeemer's Sermon Podcast. The readings appointed for this sermon are from the book of Habakkuk, chapter 1, verse 1 through 4, and chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, the second letter of Paul to Timothy, chapter 1, verse 1 through 14, the gospel according to Luke, chapter 17, verse 5 through 10, and Psalm 37, verse 1 through 10. May the words of my lips and the meditations of all of our hearts always be acceptable to you, O Lord. Amen. Phil just whispered to me another easy text. (laughs) Not. I did a lot of um, looking at commentaries before downtown Bible study this week. And downtown Bible study gives us a chance to kind of test some ideas out. You aren't going to be hearing any of those ideas. None of them flew. So we are going to stick with the first couple lines of this gospel reading, and I'd be glad to talk about the others outside in the narthex. Faith the size of a mustard seed. The opening verses in today's gospel reading are reminiscent of a similar and perhaps more familiar passage from the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew 17, the disciples have been unable to cast out a demon. And the man whose son has been possessed by this demon goes to Jesus, and Jesus immediately casts out the demon. So the disciples say to Jesus, why could we not cast it out? And Jesus replies, because of your little faith. For truly I tell you, If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. In today's gospel reading from Luke, the apostles say to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord replies, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. The context of this passage is different from the passage in Matthew. This is a passage where Jesus has been offering some difficult teaching. As Phil alluded to, we have been having some difficult teachings. And the passage is right before this lesson today. Jesus is cautioning the disciples telling them not to stumble and not to contribute to anyone else stumbling. He's talking to them about forgiveness, and he's telling them that if someone sins against them and repents, they must forgive that person. That if someone sins against them in one day, if they sin against them seven times in one day and repents seven times that day, they must be forgiven. There is no limit to that forgiveness as long as there is repentance. And the lessons we've had in the last couple of weeks, um, last week when Phil preached about the lesson involving the wealthy man and the poor man, Lazarus, and how Lazarus is lifted into heaven but the wealthy man is cast into Hades. Melanie talked about a lesson the the week prior to that about you cannot serve God and wealth. 
all of these lessons have hard messages, and there really isn't an easy way around them. So it's in this context that the disciples are hearing Jesus' words, and they're asking Jesus, increase our faith, because I think they think they're not quite prepared to go forward. So what do we make of Jesus' response? If you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to the mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. It's a very short response. But there is really no way for us to tell the tone of his response. It's kind of like when we receive a text, and we might react any number of ways, but we don't really know what the tone was of the text. And I found myself, after wrestling with this passage, wishing that the Bible had emojis. <laughs> I wanted to know, was Jesus saying this with a scowling face or with a happy face? Was there a little heart by it? Was the message, you know, will you ever have enough faith? Or was the message, you already have what you need? It, we could read it either way or many other ways. It's hard to know, and we could build compelling cases for any number of approaches. But what might be clearer to us is the disciples' request to Jesus. The disciples' request increased our faith. It's very understandable in the context of what their recent teachings have been. They may be feeling they need help, and they may be feeling that increasing their faith is not something they can do on their own, that that has to come from God. And they want more faith. They want more. And can any of us not relate to that idea of wanting more? I think our culture is almost built on this idea of more. We want more skill. We want more knowledge. We want more experience. We want more time. We want more to be more prepared. There's that more again. Phil talked a bit last week about our desire for more security, more accomplishment, more earnings. We want more. It's almost built into the Western culture. And in this wanting of more, we're also confronted with, with all the noise around us. I remember a couple of years ago, when I returned to town to face toilet paper shortages. I'd never thought of wanting more toilet paper, but I was in line and showing up at the beginning of stores being open. Back in my marketing days, we were always coming up with the latest promotion, buy one, get one free. You know, buy one, the second one is at half price. I find myself as a shopper still succumbing to that. There is only me and my dog in my household, and yet there I am, buy one, get one free. I am right there in line. We want more. And my trip this past summer to see my family in Salt Lake City, we needed to make a stop at Walgreens. And my granddaughter, who does have a bit of a sweet tooth, saw this giant box of Junior Mints. She wanted it. I mean, this is not like the little boxes that we would run into in the movie theater. This was a giant box of Junior Mints. 
So after she'd had a few and was kind of wanting more already, and I'm thinking, this does not bode well. So I said, I'll carry this box in my shoulder satchel that I'd been traveling with. So I put the box in there. We did a lot of trips that day. We were running around town, running errands. And pretty soon from the back seat, I hear the voice, I want more junior mints. I should mention it was over 100 degrees in Salt Lake City. And Junior Mints will never use the M&M marketing language, never. My whole bottom of my satchel was one big mush of Junior Mints, chocolate and mint. And I'm scooping with my hand to get it out. I mean, it's really gross. I, it's so much more gross than what I'm going to tell you right here. But I'm scooping with my hand, and my hand is filled with chocolate and mint. And my granddaughter is saying, we have to eat them all. <laughs> and my son is saying, gross. And then he looks at me, and being aware that we're in his new car with this light-colored herringbone upholstery, the next words out of her mouth are, Mom, do not touch anything. I was covered, and he could see the ready path is spread before us. More is not always a good thing. We know that. We know that with that sixth slice of pizza or whatever, we know more is not always a good thing. But in the midst of thinking about this, more, wanting more, and also recognizing when we have what we need, it raised the question of how do we recognize when we have everything we need? How do we know that we can move forward without asking the question that the disciples did, give us more? And there was an article on CNN's website yesterday that I found extremely moving. It was an article um, by Erin Burnett. It was an interview with her. And she had just returned from a trip to the Ukraine. Erin spoke with a couple there Vadim and Olga. She had just met them as she was going around the city. And their only child, a son, had been killed in the war. And as she was talking with them, she was hearing about how their house had been reduced to, rub to rubble. It had been occupied by Russian soldiers. All their possessions, for the most part, had been stolen or destroyed. But they had a goat. They had a goat. And this goat had been pregnant. And it was that day of their conversation that the goat had given birth to two kids. And Olga was holding these two baby goats. And she was inhaling the fresh farm smell of them. And she was saying, we have new life. We have new life. This woman who had lost so much was feeling joyful about the gift of this new life. And when Aaron Burnett asked Vadim how he would describe his life now, he said, lucky. He said God had helped them in this moment of so much loss and hardship and scarcity. There was no mention of wanting more, only recognition and gratitude, gratitude to God that they had survived and for what they had. 
Aaron reported they felt lucky, and there I was unable to fathom their loss. I learned from Vadim and Olga that sometimes, as much as a moment moves you and affects you, you cannot understand it. I was silenced by their ability to take joy in their goats and to find themselves lucky. I could only listen and witness their experience. I learned from them in a new way that this is something we humans can do for each other. Aaron's words of witness brought to mind a recent hospital visit I had made to someone who was gravely ill. As I took out my prayer book to read the prayers we say when death is near, I became aware that it was the same prayer book, this prayer book, that I read at a candlelight 16 years earlier as I sat in the dark on the ground beside a loved one who had just died suddenly. In that time of profound shock and grief, that prayer book and that trust in the presence of the Holy Spirit was all I had. Looking back, it was absolutely all I needed, but it was all I had. While preparing this sermon, I found myself also remembering this was the same prayer book I read from at the time of my mother's death 21 years ago next week. I had set vigil for her for days. I brought so many things thinking I needed to be prepared in some way, but it all came down to this simple prayer book and accepting that God was with us and that the Holy Spirit would guide us. We had all we needed. Very shortly, Phil will read from his book of common prayer as he leads us through the presentation of June Elizabeth Ratterman for holy baptism. She will be surrounded by her parents, Elizabeth and Craig, her godparents, family and friends, and this whole Redeemer community. We will bear witness, make vows, renew our own baptismal vows, pray for June, and celebrate her new life in Christ. Immediately following June's baptism, Phil will include these words in his prayer. Sustain her, O Lord, in your Holy Spirit. Give her an inquiring and discerning heart, the courage to will and to persevere, a spirit to know and to love you, and the gift of joy and wonder in all your works. In these moments, June has all she needs, the love of family, a loving community, and the presence of the Holy Spirit always. Yes, we may still find ourselves like the disciples asking for more, and that's not to dismiss the necessities of life, but let us always remember the gifts already received through the love of God, the love entrusted to us to share. In the moments most precious to us, in these moments of sacrament and sharing and transition, in the moments of deepest grief and humble gratitude, in holy communion and holy community, the presence of the Holy Spirit is palpable. May we always know 
we have all we need. Amen.